Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Yes, Gavin, you're right. Both the dogs and the blankets were named after the country, not the other way around. Ass. The following podcast contains... Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you, and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought we could do with 10,000 what we couldn't do with 100,000, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, August 25th, 2017, a war without end, amen edition of the show, where we talk about the latest version of Forever War in Afghanistan. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Open Cola. New for 2001, Open Cola is cola made by you. Inspired by the open source revolution, Open Cola allows home cola coders to create their own soda at twice the cost and five times the effort of corporate cola. With flavors like Sorta Sprite, probably Pepsi, and definitely not Dr. Pepper. Open Cola gives you the latest great taste of real cola, but in a flavor that's just a little bit off. When you're hankering for a cold soda, just connect your soda water carbonator to a sodium-free water source, decide upon, measure, mix your ingredients, infuse them into the glass, add carbonated water, and enjoy. Open Cola, when you want a soda and a shitload of work. This is Afghanistan. Alexander the Great tried to conquer this country. Then Genghis Khan, then the British. Now Russia. But Afghan people fight hard, they never be defeated. Ancient enemy, make prayer about these people. You wish to hear? Mm-hmm. Very good. It says, May God deliver us from the venom of the cobra, teeth of the tiger, and the vengeance of the Afghan. In October of 2001, your humble host was just like most Americans. Part-time student, full-time watching the news and wondering what the fuck had just happened. Kind of like today, except I'm no longer learning anything. The piles of rubble in New York City and Arlington were still warm to the touch, and some fucking maniac was sending anthrax to people in something we used to call the mail, which was an archaic service where quasi-governmental agents brought letters to your doorsteps rather than packages from Amazon. Alicia Keys had the number one song in the country, movie Harry Potter had just started Hogwarts, and Microsoft released a new operating system to replace the embarrassment that was Windows ME. Walking burlap sack filled with turds. Oh my god, ME was awful. I mean, it made Vista look good. And Apple dropped a product on the market that let you carry your entire music library right in your pocket. But you still couldn't call anyone on it. And President George W., compared to today, he doesn't seem so bad Bush, ordered troops into the belly of the Al-Qaeda beast in Afghanistan. 16 years later, we've rebuilt the towers, 
fix the Pentagon. The post office looks upon letters like something from a museum. Alicia Keys has descended into the purgatory of yesterday's stars. You know, bit parts on reality singing shows. Movie Harry Potter has gone back for an MFA in creative writing and is living in the Weasley's basement. And Apple's little pocket music player evolved and consumed the collective brains of all of humanity. Look like zombies, like, like somebody died or something. The only thing that remains the same 16 years later is a lot of people are still using Microsoft XP and we are still at war in Afghanistan and no one can explain either one of these two things. Not that Daddy Donnie needed explanations for why Forever War was the way to go on Monday night when he took the stage in front of a crowd of hostages. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm not supposed to call them hostages. They were, they were uniformed service members that were ordered to be there. And he unveiled his strategy for prosecuting the ongoing war in Afghanistan. Credit where credit is due, if you closed your eyes, ignored his nasal queen's twang and his incessant sniffing, it almost sounded like a speech a real president might give. Like a really precocious preteen doing a clever imitation of being presidential. He's such an amazing kid. You've done a great job with him, Karen. Opening with the words he should have said well over a week ago and would go on to completely disavow shortly thereafter, the Tangerine Twitler issued a call for unity and decency and then went on to discuss the hard time he had concentrated on anything more complex than a Dilbert strip. Oh, Wally, so... Why does, it, why does my, my Trump sounds like Reagan? I'm sorry, I can't do a Trump. And then he talked about how his generals broke down into simple, easy-to-understand terms, which I assume were America good, Taliban bad. Army men go pew, pew, pew. Bad guys go ow, ow, ow. You know, easy for him to understand. And then finally he closed the speech with a commitment to send an unspecified number of troops to Afghanistan to do things he would not talk about for a period of time that remains undetermined. Well, that's one way to do it. The practical upshot is the DOD plans to send between three and 5,000 additional troops to bolster the 8,000 odd troops that are currently in the country. You might not remember that Trump campaigned on us not doing exactly what it is we're doing. You know, putting more troops in a war that's clear we're not going to win. He sort of said America would be made great again by bringing the boys home before Christmas or some other Trumpian bullshit fantasy. But it seems that Trump changed his mind on this. Or chances are even better, he wasn't even aware that he said it. But that's okay because... You see, Pepperidge Farm remembers. You know who else remembers? Steve Bannon and Breitbart, who are not exactly happy with the decision. I would put some of their headlines in here, but that means I would need to click a link to that website, and I refuse to do that on principle. So what I will do is uh, make some shit up that sounds inflammatory, like uh, Trump big pussy on war, or dickless Don does it again. Because no matter what, Trump said one thing and did something different, and apparently this is no longer okay with the boys from Brightzill since their Nazi daddy got fired. In this one instance, however, it's not entirely clear how much choice he had but to bow to the reality of things. Let's talk about Afghanistan for a second. Not in the way back, but in right now. The United States went into that country in pursuit of Osama bin Laden, who sheltered there before 9-11. Bush, too, demanded the ruling Taliban, who were evil motherfuckers in their own right, turn over Osama bin Laden, and we were told, go fuck ourselves. So, uh, you know, so, you know... We went in after him. How did that go? Eh, not so hot. A bumbling shithead president failed to commit enough resources and troops to get him when we had the chance. 
and OBL slipped off into Pakistan where he was safe for another decade more. In the meantime, we did defeat the Taliban only to discover that once you oust a country's government, it's like ordering a shitty meal in the restaurant. They're still going to want you to pay for it. Nearly a million troops have served at least one tour in Afghanistan since 2001. Based on the end-of-year numbers for 2016, 2,386 were killed in action and 20,049 were wounded in action. Estimates pin the total number of Afghans killed, combatant and non-combatant, at a shade over 91,000. The amount we've spent on 16 years of war vary wildly from the arch-conservative $850 billion to over $5 trillion on the high end. If we split the difference, we can save $3 trillion and call it a day, and that's a fucking horrifying number. <sighs> shred it. You could take that money, you could shred it and set it on fire, and it would still be a better spent than what we did with it. Do not even ask what we could have done with that $3 million because it will only depress you. But keep in mind, hey, if you want to feel better, we spent at least that much on the contemporaneous war in Iraq. So, yeah. We could probably be living on Mars right now for just the cost of, like, I don't know, one of these shitty fucking useless wars. Bush got us in. Obama came along, campaigned, and tried his best to get us out. He surged the troop levels in 2010 to over 100,000 and gave the military broad discretion to just get shit done. The idea is if we just sent enough people into there, killed enough bad guys, and generally fucked shit up and built shit up, we could fix that broke-ass country and leave it better than it was before we blew it up. We won, right? We just won? Narrator voice, we did not. In fact, after the surge was over, it was worse than when we went in. And this is the assessment of the military, not some douchebag with a podcast. We sent 100,000 badass motherfuckers locked, cocked, and ready to rock over the best hardware money could buy, and a bunch of dudes riding on horses, carrying old Kalashnikovs and Soviet-ever RPGs won. Well, they didn't beat us, but they still won, because we left, and they're still there. We killed more of them than they did of us, we won every battle, and for some reason, we still haven't won the war because the Afghans are... Such a tough. It's fucking a right. The Afghans don't quit. They don't surrender, they keep fighting because they are in every sense of the word, warriors. These motherfuckers make Klingons look like a Girl Scout troop. And they've been doing it for as long as humans have lived in that shitty little country. And that brings us to the way back. Find your way back. Find your way back to her heart. Find your way back. Eighteen thirty-nine and the Empire of Great Britain was the greatest power in the world. The greatest power in the world since the Byzantines. They ruled the oceans, whipped Napoleon's ass on the continent, and were all but running India. In short, the Brits were the tits and knobs above the rest, which is a phrase that I just made up that sounds a little bit Victorian. But there were other powers out there looking for a piece of the royal bacon. France, of course but it was the Russians who were sniffing around the crown jewel of the empire, India. After all, the Russians were just over the Himalayas and very much wanted a piece of that hot Indian action. Or that was the idea that they were thinking anyway. The British decided the best way to keep the Russians out of India was to block their approaches to India, and that meant blocking the route from Russia to India, and that meant what is now Afghanistan. So they did what the British do, 
and sit a chap up to find out what see if he might find a fellow amenable to making a deal. After some very British adventures and daring do, an arrangement was concluded with the Emir of Afghanistan to block the Russians. The Russians countered by sending their chaps around to see if Amir might like to talk making a racial range with the Russia instead. This caused the British to do something else the British like to do. Find a totally different fellow amenable to doing business with the British and replace the original fella who would talk to the Russians. Once they found him, they sent an army up to, to India to depose the first fellow and install the second fellow, kept the army in Kabul both to keep their compliant puppet in power and to block the Russians from dicking around in their dooryard. They called this the great game and they loved it. Ah, why is it so complicated? Oh, stop complaining. I just condensed years of negotiations, intrigue, backstabbing, and power plays into two paragraphs. And I had to go through a documentary and a massive Wikipedia article. Now we get to the good stuff. Because the Brits sent a 21,000-strong army into Kabul, along with about 40,000 prostitutes, cooks, servants, because, you know, that's how the British do. And the British more or less thought they could treat the Afghans like they did the Indians down in the Raj. And they brought their families, they brought their wine, their food, and their soldiers brought their libidos. The licentious conduct of the British troops greatly offended the puritanical values of the Afghan men, who had always disapproved of premarital sex, and were especially enraged to see the British infidels take their women foes to their bed. In his official history, Sir John William Kay wrote, he sadly had to declare there are truths which must be spoken. Namely, there were temptations which were most difficult to withstand and were not withstood by our English officers, as Afghan women were most attractive, and those living in the Zinnias, the, the Islamic women's headquarters, were not unwilling to visit the quarters of the Christian stranger. Kay wrote, the scandal was... An open, undisguised, and notorious with the British officers and soldiers openly having sexual relationships with Afghan women, and in a nation like Afghanistan where women were, and still are, routinely killed in honor killings for the mere suspicion of engaging in premarital sex, which is seen as a slur against the manhood of the male family members, most Afghan men were highly furious at what they saw as a national humiliation that had questioned their manhoods. A popular ditty amongst the British troops was, a cobble wife under burqa cover was never known to be without a lover. Afghanistan was then, as it is now, not so much a country, but a collection of tribes that shares a polyglot of language and geographic proximity. They happily went to war with each other, mostly out of boredom, because then, as is now, there's not a lot to do in Afghanistan. The one thing they did share was religion and a homicidal dislike of people getting up in their business. And the British Empire was all up in their business. So needless to say, the Afghans rose up. Led by the son of the emir, the British ousted. They killed the envoy sent to broker the original deal and diverse other British gentles. Every male Afghan around Kabul appeared to be under arms and thoroughly pissed off. Leading the commander of the British Imperial Forces to withdraw his army to India. In winter, with their families, camp followers, and all the sundry. In a narrow pass and freezing weather, the Afghans ambushed the British army and after a brief negotiation where they promised to spare the women and children of the army surrendered, the negotiations fell apart. Both sides blamed the other, but the Afghans slaughtered the British army in that pass. The women and children that survived were sold into slavery and of the entire force of 16,500 people that left Kabul, there was only about 4,500 soldiers in that, only a bare handfuls of survivors reached the safety of the nearest British garrison. And this was only the first Afghan war the British went through. 
They would do it again in 1878, only to suffer a series of defeats and withdraw again beaten and bloody in 1881. They would achieve nominal mastery through puppet kings and a tiny-ass garrison following the Second War, but the Afghan rose up again in 1919 and gained their independence after a brief fight and a peace treaty was agreed upon with the empire granting full autonomy to the Afghans, who would continue to serve as a buffer state between India and the now Soviet Union. Long story short, the British won the wars, but they never beat the Afghans. Speaking of the Soviet Union, they too would step into the gopher hole that is the graveyards of empires in 1979. A communist revolution opposed the last Afghan king and took over the government. Faced with strong opposition from tribal leaders in the country due to the official atheism of the government, the Soviets invaded to prop up that faltering communist, well, the faltering communist leaders of that country. They fought 10 years, and just like the British before them and us now, they won the battles but never beat the Afghan people. The United States trained and equipped the Mujahideen, who fought the Russians, who hated the Americans too, but were more than happy to take their guns and money. Those folks that we trained and equipped included one Osama bin Laden, a Saudi Yemeni who, brought, who would bring us back into this pit, tar pit of a nation 22 years later. The Soviets fed troops into the fight and the Moos chewed them up and left their bones on the valley floors of Afghanistan. It's fairly certain, if not proven, the Soviets used chemical weapons in that war. They were certainly brutally repressing the country in their fight, which pissed off the Afghans and made them fight even harder. Hello, Donald Trump. Yes, you can be fucking brutal to the Afghans. You can kill their families, waterboard them all, and they'll just come back that much fucking more pissed off. You know what happened when the Soviets did that? They were weakened by a decade of war, the continuing struggle to keep pace with the American war machine under the Reagan administration, and eventually withdrew in 1989, and the entire Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. The Soviets won all their battles, but they are literally gone, and the Afghans are still there. And now it's our turn. Billions of dollars, thousands of lives, and we are doing no better than the British or the Soviets. Why the fuck are we still there? What is in this tiny country with no massive natural resource reserves for our corporate overlords to loot? At least none we can't get cheaper and easier someplace else. What keeps us feeding the meat machine with our soldiers and treasures? I mean, the biggest cash crop in the country is fucking opium poppies. Great heroin, though. I mean, surely we can plant that shit someplace else to supply America's craving for killing ourselves with heroin and other narcotics. Those who would make the case for staying in the war put it like this. If we leave Af Afghanistan as it is, the country will rapidly dissolve into civil war just like Syria. It will go back to being a lawless haven for terrorists and destabilize an already precarious region straight into anarchy. It will open the door for Russia or China to move in and establish dominance in the region and put pressure on two already fractious nuclear states, India and Pakistan. If we just say fuck it and take our ball and go home, everything we tried to accomplish in the country will be for nothing. All the lives lost and money spent will be meaningless, and all of that is very likely true. But I'm not sure this is a good enough reason to stay. I read a quote by a mother who had lost her son in the Afghan war who agreed with staying because she couldn't stand the thought of us just walking away. Well, you know, we walked away from Vietnam, 
We lost 20 times more people there than we did in Afghanistan. Does that mean everyone who died in Vietnam died in vain? Ah, it kinda does, doesn't it? But by that logic, that means we should have stayed and lost another 50,000 people, only to reach the same conclusion? How many needless deaths does it take to make all the deaths that came before that death more worthy? This week, The Onion dropped a little headline reading, Son proud to take his father's patrol route in Afghanistan. Reality promptly said, hold my beer and watch this, with an actual son deployed to the same region as in Afghanistan as his father served. This is fucked up. In all of American history, we've never had a multi-generational war. Sure, the Cold War lasted an entire generation, but that was more a war in theory than in practice. I myself am part of a fourth generation military family. My grandfather, father, nephew, and myself all served, and each of us are proud of what we did. But damned if any of us should stand behind the idea of those following after us fighting the same war as we did. I mean, shit, even the Hundred Years' War was not just one war that lasted a fucking century. It was a whole bunch of little different wars that we just lumped together. We can't keep asking our troops to go over and do the same thing again and again, passing on our wars like a grandfather clock that everyone hates, but no one... Wait, Gavin, didn't we do this metaphor already? I wonder sometimes that the reason we stay isn't just pure stubbornness. Our generals are the same as a nine-year-old me trying to put together a veil skull model of a P-40 Warhawk only to find their fingers glued to a plastic wing and all those little tiny struts broken because their thick fucking fingers were, were too clumsy to snap them out of those little tiny brackets without breaking them. And finally, they just got so fucking frustrated that they smashed the whole fucking stupid thing into a thousand tiny pieces because this is too hard, I hate models, and I can't paint them like that on that box anyway. I suck and this sucks and I'm not like other boys. I don't want to even play sports, Dad. But, you know, with with real soldiers. Terrorism, geopolitics, the humanitarian crisis, or whatever reason you want to pick for staying it are going to happen if we're there or not. They've been happening since 1829 and the great game, it doesn't end. It just takes on new players as the old one drops out. Afghanistan has been in a state of civil war since the Soviet invasion. Prior to that, the authority of the government in Kabul extended only as far as you could see from the king's palace. Anarchy is the status quo. The whole country is one big libertarian wet dream with warlords and factions squabbling constantly. Even if we managed to fix Afghanistan and it wasn't a terrorist Disneyland, they would just go someplace else. Like, I don't know, right across the border into Pakistan. And speaking of India and Pakistan, they will just use any pretext to fight. But you didn't say God bless you when I sneaked. We can't fix a place that doesn't know how or has ever wanted to be fixed. Our relationship with Afghanistan is like dating an asshole. No matter how much you try to change him, he's still going to get drunk and try to fuck your best friend. The only choice is just to leave the fucker and find a better dude. We just need to break up with Afghanistan and find a better country to invade. You know, I hear that voice, that boy Syria. He's really nice. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. We want to thank all of you that have left a rating and review on the show on Apple Podcasts. I'll, uh, let's see here. Uh, 
one of you. So, hey, thanks, uh, person. We also want to thank the people who donated to our Patreon page at patreon.com uh, slash what the hell podcast. All, uh, one of you. So, uh, again, uh, thanks, person. Oh, but we really want to thank all the people that follow us on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast. But a lot of you seem to want me to watch you watch your sex camps for money. And I think that if I'm willing to provide you with a free podcast, the least you can do is let me watch you play with yourself for free. Except you, Dimitri. Jesus, dude, stop DMing me your pics. No one, no, no one wants to see that. And you are very confused about a lot of things, mostly about the things that can fit in your asshole. It's a Rubik's Cube, dude. Square peg, round hole. If you want, we can still send them to Gavin. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. He's a producer Gavin, uh, producer Gavin on Twitter. For me, Dave Bledsoe, the frantically deleting his account, Producer Gavin, and all the other fictional people on this show, we want to say, let us tell you a secret about America's war. A secret that Donald Trump, Trump told us was just between us. Because America don't just love their wars every now and then. We love a war without end. Amen. We'll see you all next week. Stubborn horse, just like my father's son. And when I thought my patience had been tested to the end, I took my father's seat and passed it on to him. And I said, Let me tell you a secret about a father's love. A secret that my daddy said was just. Daddies, don't just love their children every now and then. It's love without end, amen. It's love without end, amen. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.